Hey guys, it's Josh, and welcome back to the Not So Bad Bachelor Pad. Joining me today are my friends Ben and Elaine, and we'll be talking about compatibility. Hope you enjoy this one. Ben, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, uh, so I'm Ben. I, uh, I actually know Elaine. Uh, I'm kind of introduce how Elaine and I know each other and then kind of connected to Josh. Uh, Elaine and I actually know each other through competitive ballroom dancing. Uh, one of my partners kind of uh, ended our partnership suddenly right before our competition. And I was looking for someone to dance with at an upcoming competition, put the feelers out on a big Facebook blog, and just so happened Elaine saw the post and commented on it, don't I know you? And apparently we lived in the same city and we met up at a local gym and tried dancing together. We've been really good friends ever since. Um, Elaine can kind of speak to maybe a, uh, a recent event that she was involved in uh, that I had a bigger part of, uh, a big a big personal event, if you will. Oh, it was, it was very big. So I'm Elaine. Um, like Ben said, we met through ballroom dancing and we had actually danced together first at like a local um, practice session. And then he, I saw him do that post, and I was like, wait, that's that really tall guy that I danced with last week. Wait, yeah. Uh, but the big event he's talking about was he actually officiated my wedding five months ago. So he uh, was up front with me and my husband um, and did the whole process. Um, my husband met Ben a couple months after we started dancing together. Um, and then we've been kind of like the trio of friends ever since. So we didn't want anybody who didn't know us to marry us, So. Why not your best friend? Yeah. Like when I forget what I forget why we went out that day, but we went out and they were telling me uh, about like Ben was telling me about this and I was like, that's probably like one of the coolest things that I've ever heard like ever like having your best friend or one of your best friends not only just be like the best man or the bridesmaid, but actually being the one to join your union. That's a that's a memory that'll last forever. Um, today's episode. And oh, go ahead. It it was, it wasn't actually that hard as well. If there are any listeners that think that that would be fun to do for their friends, you can do it in a non-denominational kind of way. So it doesn't matter what kind of faith you are a part of, or what faith the people you want to marry are a part of. Um, if they have any questions, they can comment, and you can put them in touch with me, and I can give them information about the process to get licensed in their respective states, but it's really not that complicated to do online. But then Josh, you and I know each other. I, I did, we did meet at Chabad, is that correct? We, yes, that's the first time we ever met was at Chabad. Yeah, I don't remember the day. I just feel like I've always known you in a way. Like I don't, I, I know there was a time when I didn't, obviously. Yeah. But it's kind of blurred into somehow we are now friends. I, I don't remember exactly the moment we met, um, but whether it was birthday parties or going out downtown, Elaine accompanied me one of the times, and that's how you two got acquainted. Yeah. And now we've, we've yeah. known each other since. That's, that's completely right. Like I said, it's funny how you just have some friends where it feels like you've known them what feels like forever. You know, you can't remember when they exactly came into the orbit of your life, but right now you're just intertwined. 
And uh, Ben is that friend for me. I tell people all the time, like, anytime I'm starting a new thing, I always invite Ben to be a part of it because Ben's just a stand-up guy. Uh, <laughs> um, he's great at conversation, which is a really big. We talked about this in the uh, attraction in um, almost every episode, actually, um, how important banter or just conversation communication is. And he does really well at it. So... Ladies, I I believe he's on the market. So if you're looking oh, for a good communicator, <laughs> just well, let me know. Enough, maybe maybe this has changed since the last time we spoke. Oh, um, but I'm I'm not I, I, I'm pursuing someone um, that I'm really curious about, mm-hmm. and so right now I'm not personally looking to kind of explore my other options. Um, but it's. You know, it's new, but it's becoming not new, which mm-hmm. is interesting. That's that's um, a, which is exciting. Yeah. That's that's uh, a phase so, I live in a lot. Yeah, yeah that's. Uh, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I, we'll, we'll talk about it. I'm sure during the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, my husband's mad. He's jealous. Yeah. He, ben was his, and he was Ben's, and now Ben is not my husband's, and we, it is uh, not okay. This will also come up later in the show, guys. We will talk about bromances versus romances. Which one's stronger? Um, Ben might have to come on this episode again, okay? <laughs> um, but no. But also, ladies, like if you if you are interested, we'll start an RSVP like layaway list, okay? Oh right. my god! <laughs> well, I'm flattered by what you've said. I really am. No, uh, I, I appreciate the courtesies you afford me, and I'm looking forward to kind of talking about this. I think compatibility is a part of like successful relationship building that more now than ever has really like been the focus of how I'm living my life is trying to abandon maybe a more intense form of judging everyone I meet Mm -hmm. kind of uh, unintentionally or intentionally kind of putting them on a spectrum of calculating how much respect I want to give someone based on how much I like their personality um, and I'm trying to abandon that idea and kind of lean more into just, do I fit with this person? Do I not? And if I don't, that's actually really okay. I can just choose to spend less time with them. So this is like such a cool topic that I'm really looking forward to talking about. Well, I've realized this, and this could be true about a lot of you guys listening, or I know it's true for a lot of my friends at least, is when we were younger, we were more shallow in the sense that we used other people's expectations to set how we think our relationship relationship should be instead of how we actually view or interact with people. And today we're going to find out or just discuss, are we picking the right people? What does it really mean to be compatible? Um, so I asked everybody on today to do a little bit of homework, myself included. Um, I did all the activities and we took a couple quizzes on love languages and uh, apology languages, just different things that I felt like through reading and research and just being an observer in other people's relationships that are crucial to longevity. And that's ultimately everybody's goal, in my opinion. You know, or there are some situations where longevity is not the goal, but for the most part, it is. So yeah, everybody was given homework. I asked them to find out if they didn't already know what their love language is, attachment style, apology language, um, 
and then most of us all have had to do this through either some high school or college program, but um, your personality type, we, we kind of know about those. So those are just a few things that we're going to talk about in today's episode and see if there are any, any mutual ground or how much stock we really put into all these tests that are mandated or like given out into the world that we shape our lives around. Okay, um, so we'll start with love languages and kind of roll from there. Sound good to everybody? Yeah. Yeah, let's good. do it. Um, who wants to start? Who? I can start. Ladies <laughs> first, you know, first, we, we are. <laughs> um, so I um, have taken the love language test multiple times, and I always get the exact same answer, but I also know that that's my answer, so I kind of always get that answer. Um, but mine is physical touch and quality time, which to Andy, my husband, makes sense. But to every single person in my close family, they think I'm insane. It's like you don't let us touch you, and I'm like, exactly, because I don't want to. I don't want to forgive you yet. If you give me a hug, everything will be forgiven and be okay. But sometimes I just want to be mad, and that's okay. This is so insightful. I so insightful. I say this. um, I forget who I was talking to, but I was like, I was in the car with like two other millennials, and I was like, "That's our new normal. Like, we like being like unhappy a little bit. We're like, nope. I want to like wallow in this like upsetness, this like sadness for a little bit, and then we can move on from it. It's our new baseline. Mm. How about you, Ben? What'd you get? What would your what's your love language? Yeah, I'll, I'll answer just. I wanna I wanna respond one thing. Okay. It, what's so interesting is that Elaine's husband Andy is <laughs> very very like sensitive to people touching him. Like he doesn't like it. He likes his personal bubble. Um, like Andy and I joke about how we finally reached the point. This like magnificent peak in our friendship where I can give him a hug like it's like a big time like a big step you know and so this is so interesting that you two have built in my opinion one of the best kind of uh models for a a compatible and healthy relationship that exists in my world um having seemingly to my view being outside of the relationship in like different languages and people can have different languages and still yeah. have a good relationship but yeah. it's just like wow that's very strange to me um okay so mine i i have really bad test bias like consciousness like i don't know the word for this i forget my psychology 101 terminology but um where you you define as you're taking the test you determine what the questions are trying to get at and you kind of read too deep into the test. You're like, oh, I know if I pick this, it's going to say quality time. And if I pick this, it's going to say physical touch. And so, like, I end up, like, duping myself out of the – just answering the questions honestly. And so I try to resist that. Um, what I got, which I think actually does make a lot of sense to me, was acts of service as my main one. Okay. Um, but uh, it wasn't a ton – higher than some of the others um the ones that were uh, uh close um like acts of service was like 50 percent 
quality time and words of affirmation were something like 30%. And physical touch was like 30% and gift giving was zero. Um, so it, it's on a scale, but I think it makes a lot of sense for myself. Um, I think that kind of the, the healing that I'm doing in my kind of young adult life is understanding, at least in the context of the relationship with my parents, how just because someone said something didn't necessarily make it true. And so kind of behavior being stratified from reality in, in one's words versus their actions was something that, that kind of dissonance between the two not being congruent mm-hmm. was something that is kind of uh, bled itself into my adult life. And so seeing the walk rather than just the talk is something that resonates well with me. So sometimes an apology is helpful, but sometimes the changed behavior is what I look for after the apology. Um, and so that's kind of, I think, the best love language for myself. So kind of, this, is, this is actually really weird, but hearing it actually makes sense to me. Um, I was telling you guys how I always invite Ben out. I resonate so much with Ben. Um, it's so weird that I call him Ben because, like, late, like lately, all I ever call him is Ben Hameen. Um, <laughs> uh, I resonate so much with Ben, but we also, but I also can realize we're like really different people as well. Um, that we got pretty much the same results, and it, it tracks for like who I see Ben Ben as. But at the same time, I was like, we got the same results, but like they're for different reasons, probably. Um, which okay. reminds me of like two other topics that are coming later on: expectations versus reality. Um, that's one of the oldest sayings that I've had. Is um, there's what you plan, and then there's what actually happens. Um, a lot of people, especially in relationships like this, they have expectations on what they think is a functional, successful relationship, and don't and don't necessarily realize that like that might not actually work for them. Um, you can't view somebody else's relationship and hold yourself to that standard because you're not those people. If, if that makes sense. Oh no, I, I think it does definitely. Yeah. Um, I think that Elaine might actually be able to speak to that a little more. Um, kind of entering a new part of her life, being newly, uh, not so newly, but newly yeah. married. Um, They're still in that phase. I can see it in her eyes. She's all goo goo eyed for him still. Well, yeah, I, uh, you you were married in February, and it's yeah. July, yep. so yeah, something like a half a year, give mm-hmm. or take. Um, but yeah, Elaine might be able to speak more to kind of the uh, the nature of avoiding putting your relationship in the context of others, especially because the nature of her relationship is changing right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything to kind of mention about that, Elaine? Yeah, so like for me the only people that I kind of could look to for a solid relationship were my mom's parents. And then I just watched them bicker and make fun of each other all the time. And that's exactly what I do with my husband. Like we don't argue very often. Um, Like the the last big argument we had was actually when Ben was over at our house the other day. And Ben's like, wait, you guys are kind of sassy today. Like we don't argue normally because we already know where it's gonna go, so we stop it from going there. But sometimes we just want to bicker with each other 
because we live in the same house, we're married, we don't agree all the time, and so sometimes he, my husband will look at me or I will look at him, and we'll just give each other the look that, okay, we need to argue. Like, we need to bicker about literally nothing. Even if we agree, sometimes he'll just look at me and give me the look, and I'm like, okay, so I need to disagree with him. Okay, here we go. So that's actually, it's funny. So one of the tests I didn't have us take is like, what's your anger language? But I did have us do, what's our apology language? For that very reason, I believe that arguing isn't also one of the most like attractive things you can do with your partner. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the most healthy things you can do because no, no two people go their entire lives without not without disagreeing with each other and so where i see some some knots or some falls or pit holes in relationships are when they don't know how to argue effectively or in a healthy manner when it becomes a toxic thing and so i was like i'm the same way like I, i love to argue like it goes back to that's like banter to me it's like the fact that we're going back and forth on a topic and we both can like it's not lost. It's great foreplay. It's great foreplay for me. Um, but also in the same token is if there are real problems and you want change, you have to be able to know how can I say something? How can I communicate to my partner, significant other, that this is how I'm feeling. This is what I expect or need from them and not blame them for it because it, once you start right. putting quote unquote blame onto some, somebody, they're like less receptive. And I was like, I'm not blaming you. We just have to figure out how t- to make sure that we're both fulfilling each other's expectations from one another. Right. And I do think that takes practice. So like in the beginning of Andy and I's relationship, we bickered all the time, but it was more like, um, I guess people would call it brother and sister bickering. Mm-hmm. Um, we were just kind of, laugh and it would be fun and upbeat but we use that time to practice bickering each other and learn the limits of where we could take bickering before it would turn into a full-blown argument so we live most of the time building up to the boundary uh, because we've practiced and we know where it is and the second the person crosses that boundary everything stops like oh i'm so sorry i shouldn't have done that that was too far so we have learned that boundary, and it's not very common that we go past it because we spent the time and the years um, practicing to get to that point and then pull off. Because you're going to argue, you're going to disagree, and you, especially during quarantine, you got to let it out somewhere. So you're going to bicker. So you're you want, you have all those emotions. So you have to practice being able to get those emotions out and then cool off after rather than letting it boil over to a full-blown argument. This is, I don't know why this is the first place where my mind went when you said that, but it's like verbal edging in a sense. It's like mm-hmm. you practice like building up to a point and like don't don't release it into that full-blown, that full-blown argument, you just, you learn to just stay there in that space where like, hey, I know where this is going. Let's let's work it out and then cool off and then let it build back up for you not taking out the trash or like whatever, right. whatever it's about. Right. 
And that's, I mean, that's really like how you like grow or like sustain in my opinion is um, practice. Everything needs practice and preparation. If it's just, if they're consecutive and there's no rest between the periods, then you're going to have an eruption of emotion. Um, Right. So having that time to understand like, hey, I know if I do X, Y, and Z, it's going to trigger my partner to do A, B, and C, and then we're going to end up at a not, I I don't have any more letters in the alphabet for it. Um, Right. But yeah, that was a really good um, kind of explanation you gave. So uh, thank you for that. Yeah. Um, Going back to it, I guess it's my turn to share what my test results said. Um, My number one love language was acts of service. And my least, my lowest score was physical touch, which is really surprising for anybody who knows me because, like, I'm a very physical person. Um, Like, I love, like, handshakes. I love hugs. I love high fives. All, in some situations, like, a hand on the shoulder does a lot. Like, physical touch does does a lot for me in a lot of ways but what I'm starting to realize is from other areas I think I just wasn't super comfortable with intimacy so that that like when I got my test results I was like you know that makes sense I don't like really intimate moments um I was like if it's if it's just a touch like on something surface level that's fine but like when it's like a genuine connection and it just like freaks me out for a little bit. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like. I like my husband. Yeah. 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 I like. I like. He does not like people touching him at all. And I. I was friends with him for four months before we started dating. We lived in a dorm room together, or a dorm hall together. So we were with each other all the time. And so I knew Andy very well before we started dating, and I knew he didn't like being touched. And so what did I do the first week of us dating? I broke that barrier. I remember locking him in the bathroom with me and so I could so I could go to the bathroom because he was so shy about any part of your body at all that I was like, okay, this is what we're going to do. You're going to watch me pee. Literally. Locked him in the bathroom. And then slowly I'm like, like I still can't touch his shoulders for very long. Like that's a, that's a big trigger point for him. But like now I just kind of touch him all the time. But it took us to build up to there and me constantly annoying him. Right. To let me touch him because that's how I communicate a lot. And so he's gotten good about communicating with me, but I had to break that barrier and I continuously did it over our four and a half year relationship. Right. And what I'm starting to realize is like, I might've been compatible with more people than I thought. It's just, I wasn't perfect at communicating because I've ended a lot of situations um, because of like the overstimulation of touch, um, whether it's like my face, my shoulders, like my hands. It's like I don't like to be res- restrained in most cases, and I feel like that's what it is. Like even though it's an ente- endearing touch, it just feels like oppressive at some points. And I was like, I need to realize that this person is coming from a genuine place trying to make a connection with me. And if it's something that I'm not into, I need to communicate to them that this is something I'm not into. Right. 
Um, and that's, I think that's even before love languages, that's the biggest key to compatibility is how well you can communicate to, uh, with each other. Yeah. Um, I would say there's other parts too. Maybe that, that might, that might be fair to say it's the biggest part. I think also, uh, I was watching like an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine and they're one of the, one, two of the characters for people that don't watch the show that are listening. I won't spare you with the character names. One character is a police officer, and the other character is a defense attorney. And so perhaps the way they communicate, maybe their sex is compatible, maybe their conflict resolution works really well, and when they have a disagreement, they get over it really quickly and are really good listeners of one another, and they like the same things, they have the same interests, but their jobs are completely incompatible. And if you're working a lot, 40 hours a week is a lot, and you might be working more, if you have jobs that are just entirely incompatible, maybe the relationship doesn't work. And so I think that like, at least my kind of take is that there, there is no way to have perfect compatibility with someone, but there are some like barriers to entry in order to have a compatible relationship. And I think this doesn't apply to most people that someone's job would be incompatible with someone else's job. I mean, if somebody is a political activist, that might not be compatible with a police officer, for example, or with someone from the other political side of the aisle, or, you know, whatever, whatever have you. But that might be determined in someone's ideologies. But I think that compatibility is definitely like a multidimensional concept that can apply to a lot of parts of someone's life. Um, and so I think that kind of looking at all of those things when you're starting a relationship or when you're in one, and seeing like where where can we flex this muscle, where can we exercise, um, I think can be really useful. Um, I agree, um, and th- and that's what I say a lot of the times too. Is life's one big chemical reaction, so I don't believe anything happens in um, solid isolation is a better word than solidarity. Isolation, um, people just aren't compatible and incompatible. They're they may be compatible, but just in different parts, different places in their life right now, or, you know, there, there are always a series of pieces that form together to make the perfect conditions or the right conditions. Um, so what you spoke on kind of is that, you know, um, you can't really make a case. I, I yeah. also, um, Communication. I also think that, uh, Compatibility problems often are the source of relationships ending. I think that there are a lot of ways in which people overlook compatibility um, uh, uh, problems and overlook them for where parts of their compatibility with the other person is is compatible, where it is it is working. Because there aren't enough boxes checked, those unchecked boxes eventually uh, come home to roost. Like that, I think the most common, or maybe you know, the most complained about example among this is people that have really strong sexual compatibility and really strong kind of like you know, their hobbies are the same and they have all this really good chemistry, but their conflict resolution is not compatible at all. And so it seems as though that person gets along with you very well, 
and the beginning of the relationship is really exciting, but until you know that kind of more boxes are checked in terms of are you, um, you know, do you two fit and do your styles, uh, can, do they coexist, coexist, excuse me, in a, in a positive and healthy way, even if they aren't the same, um, can those, do those things happen in that way? So I think a lot of relationships end just because somebody might really like giving the silent treatment and somebody else might really like being confrontational. And that does not seem to work well. The person who's confrontational might see the other person as running away from the relationship. The person who wants to give the silent treatment might feel smothered, you know, and there's, there's a happy medium here. But I think that compatibility is a really good place to look when it comes to like swallowing, like hard to swallow pills in terms of why relationships fail. And right, and I think that goes back to practice. Like everything you do in a relationship takes practice, and maybe you might not be able to work it out with the person you're with at that time. But every relationship is a learn. You learn something from it. Or maybe you don't agree with the way that somebody treated you during an argument, but then you're like then after you end that relationship or you spend time thinking about it, you're like, wow, like, I didn't like that because it made me feel small. And I didn't like how they said this word to me. It hurt my feelings because somebody said that and it really upset me back then. Like, so I think that it has to do, like, like I said, practice, going over it a hundred times, learning how to argue, uh, and then understanding why their actions have a reaction to you that you can, you, like, learn the verbiage to explain why that upsets you. And if they're willing to learn um, why that upsets you, then you can move forward. But if they're like, well, I know that bothers you, but I'm going to keep doing it, that's when the compatibility is just not going to work out. You have to learn why things bother you so you can communicate that to whoever you're talking to. Um, I agree. Um... I won't touch too deeply on this, but um, the trauma lives inside the body and that's major trauma and minor traumas. Um, there is a mem- there is a negative memory, something that you deem to be a negative memory associated with the feeling or action that mm-hmm. resonated across the years into your body. And so when you see somebody else expressing or doing those actions, you could I'm trying to think of like a time like a good example from me and Andy where he's done something um, that I haven't liked but the only thing I can I can spend that positive and he's done something to annoy me and mm-hmm. I actually really liked it so rather than like going dark I can go positive in the same instance it's not trauma but it's a deep connection so when I was really little my younger sister is two years younger than me and she was obsessed with earlobes. I kid you not. Obsessed with earlobes. Instead of a binky, she would grab your earlobe. And because I was with her all the time, because I was two years older than her, she would always grab my earlobe. And Andy was trying to annoy me, and he started grabbing my earlobe. And I saw it, and I was like, oh my gosh, yes. I was so excited that he had grabbed my earlobe because that was a comfort tool I had when I was younger with my little sister. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't always have to be trauma. I mean, for the most part, a lot of our deep memories are going to be rooted in something negative that happened. But you can also spin it the positive way. So 
he was trying to annoy me and upset me and mess with me, and he actually made me really happy. So it can kind of go both ways too. And reassociation is a big thing that I think we all need to do throughout many uh, aspects of our lives, um, just in order to be healthier beings mentally. Um, as kids, we don't know a lot, and a lot scares us. Um, and so those things that like we were afraid of now could be something that bring us a lot of pleasure or excitement. Um, mm-hmm. Bringing that back in towards uh, our conversation, how you talked about your earlobes. Also, we're taught that when things are uncomfortable, when we're younger, uh, younger, we're taught when things are uncomfortable or like quote unquote taboo, we just don't speak on them. Or they're just like unspoken rules. And I'm like, no, let's speak upon these things that way when it's when you're older and like in present day we know how to deal with them um so for me like i mentioned me ending a lot of my relationships because of physical touch um no i wasn't like touched when i was a younger child but i didn't have my family really wasn't intimate with each other so when people are like overly intimate with me it's like i knew my family um, so when people try to be intimate, like handholding with me, it's it's just different. Like I knew my family loved me, like we all had love for each other, but that's not how we expressed it. So it's just a new expression, which I wasn't right. used to yet. So, right. Um, see, for me, it's the exact opposite. Okay. So when I was younger, uh, my mom and my dad weren't very like physically lovey. They weren't. Um, that's not how they expressed themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I so you sought it out yeah so their their thing was giving gifts was how they showed love and what's really funny is on my list it's 3% like it's the lowest it's the bottom that's not how I understand love because that was something that was just given to me whereas physical touch and quality time was not and so now as an adult in a healthy relationship that's what I crave because when I was younger, I didn't get that sort of attention. Not that they didn't love me, but that's just not how they understood to love, like to show love to their kid. Mm-hmm. They thought that things were what we wanted. And I even had this conversation with my mom literally two weeks ago. And I was like, mom, I know you love me and I know you support me, but you're supporting me by buying me things that I don't need, which I appreciate. Can you just like call me or like give me a hug? Because that's how I understand love. And my mom's like, I never knew that. I was like, well, now I'm an adult. I have the verbiage to explain. That's what I want from you. Yeah. So as long as, like, you have to go really intrinsic to understand why you crave certain things. Or nobody around you is going to understand why you act the way you do. So one thing that I, that I say or think um, when I apply it to my relationship training is I feel like successful relationship practice or training is reflection practice and um acknowledgement those three components we have to reflect on like things through we have to just in ourselves and be like why did i find this problematic or like what would happen here what what didn't why didn't we get the result we wanted you have to be able to acknowledge that, hey, this is a thing that is either wrong with me or that I've just 
decide that I don't like. And then you have to practice communicating that or living that with your next partner. Um, right. Which, um, something you just said in that, like, gave me a lot of clarity about, about myself is my top two are acts of service and words of affirmation. Um, so just a little backstory about me. My parents were never really together. So I grew up with a single mom. I knew my dad, he was present, you know, but we didn't spend that much time together. So even, even in both scenarios, there wasn't a lot of touch, but my mom would always do things with me to show how much she cared. And then my dad would always just tell me how he felt or like he would just compliment me enough, like a lot. And so that's the two primary um, ways I was given affection growing up. So that makes like compliments or like kudos or words of affirmation and acts of service or doing actions to help you, you know, actions. So you saying that like really just helped me, I guess, improve my relationship with my parents, even though it's not bad, but... So thank right. you. Yeah. Yeah. Once you learn the verbiage or like it, once you understand something about yourself, something that I, I've learned to do is immediately share it because the other person that you're communicating with most of the time for me, it's my husband. Like he either one already knows what I'm talking about and knows that about myself, but he was giving me the space to learn it for myself or two, I'm giving him insight on how to communicate and live in, under the same roof with me. Um, so the second I learn something or I think something, I always bounce it off of somebody who's close to me head. I'm like, Hey, how do you feel about me? Like believing this or acting this way because of this, because I know that he knows me most of the time better than I know myself, but he's allowing me to discover who I actually am. Um, and he can be kind of like a guiding hand. And that's definitely how our relationship is like, we give each other the space to figure out um, who we want to be and how we want to act. But the second that we turn to the other person for assistance, we're like, okay, like, we like what you're doing. Keep going. Or, oh, that's not you. Like, I know you know better. Like, try to re-steer. Rather than saying you have to act this way, this is how I expect you to be. We really allow each other to grow in a safe environment um, without judgment. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't have. They don't have the person they can turn to. Um, and bounce ideas off. Um, I'm just fortunate that I have my husband and I have my amazing friend Ben that will listen to me bounce ideas off them all the time. That is one thing he's always good for. Uh, Steady shoulder, solid pair of ears to listen to anything that you got going on. Right. Something that I kind of mentioned but I was starting, I, I, I've been on, for context, I've been on a fourth date with a woman, um, and it's uh, it's kind of a, an interesting process for me because I anticipate moving. I don't know when, but I don't think that I have to abandon my dating life even though I'm moving. That just means that at some point, something I develop may have to come to a close if if it becomes a committed thing and... We decided it's monogamous, and um, 
you know, we don't want to do long distance, like whatever the logistics are that we both agree or disagree on, then, you know, we'll have to end it. But that being said, um, I, I find it funny that when I do this, I oftentimes get physical touch. I, we've been talking a lot about physical touch, kind of that one specifically, and whether we don't like it, we do like it, what our relationship is with it. Um, I always, it's always my lowest, but I don't think that just because it's low, that it means that I don't like it. And not that you all were saying that, but I find it interesting that the, the desirable love languages are typically what resonates best with us rather than liking or disliking a specific kind of, uh, other form of communication. So there, there's a there's um, a, a psychologist that I actually follow on Instagram. Um, her at is the holistic psychologist with periods between the two words, like the dot holistic dot psychologist. It's Dr. Nicola Perra. She's a psychologist who talks a lot about uh, emotional work, um, overcoming trauma. And so a phrase that she used that I really liked was that. Um, Understanding your partner's trauma is a love language. We can call yeah. it a sixth love language. And this is something that I really liked as something that differentiates someone that is a friend from someone that is a partner other than sexual chemistry. And I think that that's something that maybe even I, when somebody asks me, like, what makes somebody someone that you want to take it further with? Um, it, because do you want them to be funny? Do you want them to have a good sense of humor? Do you want them to be kind, a good listener? Like all these characteristics that people will often confident things that people will characterize an ideal partner with. Those are also characteristics they would probably characterize a quality friend with. So what mm -hmm. other than intimacy distinguishes a friend from a partner? And this can kind of lead into that idea of compatibility of why is somebody fitting the compatibility mold of a relationship rather than a friend? And I think that it is that difference in the commitment to understanding somebody's trauma and not accepting that it's just that, hey, don't project your stuff onto me. You figure it out. Don't treat me poorly. That's my baseline expectation for my friends. But developing a higher level of connection with somebody that would want me to develop more a more romantic relationship with them or intimate relationship with them is do they have this interest in going beyond that and saying, no, it's not just your, your process and these are the things you experience. I want to understand that so that I know where it's coming from because I don't think that that's right. necessarily important when you're just resolving general conflict with your friends, because your friends are not your therapist. It's not your friend's job right. to say, Hey, why do you project your insecurities onto me? Is it because of your relationship with your dad or something? Like, I feel like that's stepping a little too far. Mm -hmm. That's none of your friend's business. That's, that's something that is for you to identify because nobody tells you what your trauma response is. It's right. your reality. But I think that's a, a partner who wants to get involved in that process, not just to understand or diagnose you, but to recognize where you're having these kind of logical or emotional hangups and how is that 
drifting into your relationships in places where you could improve and trying to understand that so that they can build their patience muscle to be yeah. like, okay, I know that this isn't what I want to hear, but I know what's going on behind the scenes and I know he's taking the steps to work on it and to fix that kind of thing. So I'm going to be patient because I know what's happening behind the curtain. I right. think that that's something that really helps me in recognizing that I feel compatible with a partner, um, warranting that I'm doing the work behind the curtain. And I think that that's the big part that I think a lot of people often miss is they are very good at giving their own personal diagnosis of why somebody's doing something wrong or what, what's going on that's a big problem. And they do a lot of, well, they're doing this wrong. And I know it's cliche to say, well, you have to take your part too. You have to do your part too. But that is often a lot of the work that's done outside of your partnership, outside of the, the immediate argument you're having. When you think in your head, oh, I'm missing something in the kitchen. Did they move it? Checking that moment and saying, why am I blaming them? Why didn't I immediately assume first? Well, maybe I misplaced it. These moments where we have to like kind of monitor our own mental behavior uh, can really, I think, bring a better sense of uh, autonomy to these moments where we have said, quote unquote, we need to express practice in our disagreements right. with our partners. Right. So I think, yeah, like kind of reflecting on like who is modeling our acceptable notions of of our expressions of love? Do do we feel like our parents gave us a good, you know, a good representation of what physical touch looks like? I think no. I don't really remember seeing my parents kiss or hug or whatever. So I don't think that it's I that I don't like it. So I don't have a lot of experience. Right, right. That's valid. And so, um, not to talk about a lot. I kind of no. I mean, in the moment. So it's, there it's... might be a lot to react to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, like that, like understanding your partner's trauma. Um, so a little bit more about myself. Um, I'm. I am extremely empathic, but like my empathy is my downfall. I love that about myself, but it is exhausting. Um, like even if my cat sneezes, I freak out like, oh my gosh, is she okay? Is she dying? And like, like just anything happening in the world, like emotionally affects me. So I'm very emotive. I respond to my emotions very strongly. I try to back them up with logic and reasoning, but my first reaction is very emotive. But for my husband, it's the exact opposite. And that drives me insane. And it's what I love about him most is that he is pure logic and reasoning. So when we first started dating, um, I would like tell him something and I would be so upset and I would just like, I'd be overwhelmed with my emotions and I would just be giving them to him. And I would just like word vomit up the mouth, all my emotions. And he's like, well, they probably did that because X, Y, and Z. And that made me so mad because it felt like he wasn't listening. But I didn't understand at the time, or something that I understand now, is that's how he thinks. So we've come to a, a point where I understand his logic and reasoning. And so when I need some sort of like stability in the way I'm thinking, I turn to him. And I make it very clear, I'm at the phase where I'm ready for you to give me a solution. And I make it clear, I'm at the phase when I just need you to sit there and listen, and I'm just going to get all my emotions out. Because I'm an emotion-based person, and he's a logic-based person. So he has to flip a switch 
in his head when he needs to be in tune to how I need him to be emotive or understand my emotions. And that was something that we used to bicker about all the time. Well, you're not listening. Yes, he was listening. He was listening in a way that he understand. But I had to teach him and give him the opportunities to practice to listen in a way that I understand that he's listening and there's a difference. Um, and that's something that I've also recently started to become aware of is I say people are just naturally bad listeners and that's not true. We're good listeners. We may not comprehend everything. Um, um, because like we hear what our partners or we hear what, what the other person is saying, but we may not understand what they need or want from their original statements, which is, um, a big part of effective communication. Um, yep. Going on from our love, yeah, we started with love languages, we'll head to apology languages. Okay. Um, so I'll go ahead and start since I ended last. Excuse me. Um, I'm... I've taken a couple different tests. I give a quick shout out to Shannon Boudram, who is a sexologist, writer, um, does a education space. Um, she came up, this is her quiz that we took today for today's episode. And I like it because it was themed. So the theme was Game of Thrones. So it's, uh, who is your Game of Thrones character? And um, like, what type are you? A modern way to learn about yourself because Game of Thrones finished what like yeah. a year, maybe a year and a half ago, um, and it was such a big thing like everywhere. So, like I said, dismissive avoidant, and it says similar characters in the show to me are both Aya Stark, the Hound, and then Bran, Bran Stark. So, uh, which I'm totally okay with. So anybody who watched the series with me knew that my number one role dog was Aya Stark. I was like, she just didn't take any shit, and I loved that about her. She was like definitely one of my favorite characters uh, on the show. For sure. For sure. And even the That's hound, so, yeah. like she wasn't my favorite. I think um, like it's very hard to pick a favorite from that show because like for me as a woman, like I always am naturally drawn to like strong female characters. Um, like so, Missandei or something. Yeah, like those are like Definitely. like I think my personal favorite character was Cersei. Seriously, love really? her. Like she was bad. Like don't get me wrong, she did some terrible things. But, but a like genius, it, yeah. yeah, but it resonated with me. Like I understood why she was doing those things. Those things, even though they were wrong, she felt those were her only options. So I got it. But she was like, she was strong for her kids, man. Like she, that's what, that's my life. I want to be strong for my kids. I want to be strong for my cat because my cat relies on me. I want to be strong and healthy. That's yeah. that's where I feel like she kind of like was dropping the ball. You know, the yes. whole incestual thing. Not the like healthiest <laughs> relationship you could have. Um, but like I said, she like, when it came to her kids, she, I'm not gonna say those healthy. She let a lot go. Cause she was like, nobody's gonna lay a finger on them. They can do no wrong. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, no, my kids are just like everybody else. Like, they're going to mess up from time to time. 
I'm gonna put them in check. <laughs> but right. Elaine, what what did you get? Did you get your result? Oh, I did. So you won't you be surprised at all. It's secure attachment. Yeah, I was I'm not surprised. As well. Yeah, I was not surprised. I am extremely secure with my relationship with Andy to the point where I don't see him as a secondary person. He's an extension of myself. And I'm always, so I, I flip back and forth when I take these tests between secure and uh, avoidant simply because I'm okay. Like, I like to say that I'm the most introverted extrovert that you'll meet. Cause you, but like, I'm, I like, I, I just have a big personality, but at the same time, um, I don't like to hurt people. Um, and I feel like, which I shouldn't feel this way, but I do sometimes me telling no, or me telling somebody I'm not a fan of how they want to love me is hurt. This could be hurtful to them. Um, right. so that's what, that's where like the avoidant part comes from. I was like, I'd rather just, I'll stay in a situation where I'm not necessarily the happiest because I don't want to upset or hurt you rather than being like more so than like I'm insecure in our actual relationship or like who we are together, like how you interact with other people. I'm completely secure. I was like, go be you. Like, I want you to be you. And I, cause I like, I'm always going to be me. But at the same time, I want us to be okay. Right. Um, and so finally like striking a balance between all that is, um, something that will have to progress, but it's not. At yeah. And I yet. do, I think that has a lot to do with the way, um, the end of your generation, the beginning of mine, because I am young enough that I'm not technically a millennial. Um, I think that has a lot to do with how we were raised, where we were expected. Oh, don't look at me like that, Ben. <laughs> I'm embracing that I'm a millennial. I, I was in a phase of not embracing it, but here I am. I'm Gen Z, and I'm proud, and I'm angry. <laughs> you guys are doing a lot of good work right now, so like I own it too. <laughs> Anyways, so I do think that has a lot um, to do with the way that we were raised. Um, like for for me, I was expected to be I was expected to be quiet and understanding in situations that I did not feel comfortable, um, and I was expected not to vocalize my discomfort, um, even because it put a strain on people in my family or friends that I was close with. And that's something that I um, this year especially have been focusing on. So my 2020 New Year's resolution was to set boundaries and stick to them. And that's been really hard because I was raised to be this person that understands where everyone is, understands their emotions, I'm empathic, and just take it. And I refuse to take that anymore. Just because that's how I was raised does not mean I need to act that way anymore. Um, so I think a lot more of us in this age group would probably flock to the um, like you're insecure in a relationship or you want to be left alone and I ha I don't think that has anything has as much to do with how we feel about that relationship as to how we were raised to feel about relationships in general because I feel that way about some of my relationships still but with my husband I'm very secure and everything like like to the point where Andy and I are in a, a complete open relationship and we 
have open communication and we're allowed to explore and do things with other people. And I have never once felt an ounce of jealousy. And um, he isn't as comfortable with it, but he hasn't either because we are secure in what we have. And we spent the time and energy and practice to cultivate that. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand in our age group is like, it's just because you were raised that way doesn't mean that's how you have to act. I agree. And um, one thing that I've been having this conversation with a couple other people, but um, I was listening to something the other day when we were talking about this and they said that a lot of people, people in general, like to polarize things. So I am this or I am not this. Yeah. Rather than seeing life on a continuum. Yeah. Um, and they're like, but I believe this should be on a, on a spectrum because mm-hmm. you can encompass more than one of these traits um, at the same time. And, that, like, and that's okay. Yeah. Because and you can flip flop too. Yeah, that's okay too. That's what it's like. Like every day of your life, you're a new person, so to speak. So yeah. like every day you can. Every minute. Yeah, because it's like who's to say if like we didn't take these tests at nighttime, or versus like as soon as we wake up that we wouldn't have had different results. Right. Um, and then how Ben said earlier is like sometimes you try to read so much into the questions because you know where they try to lead you yeah. that you you're not genuine to the experience. And those are two huge factors that I always think of when I like take tests like this. Um, Cause we just had to take the Enneagram test at work uh, not too long ago. Yeah. Enneagram, I think that's how you say it. Um, and I was like, it was so long. And I was like, I was like, I'm conscious of these questions and I know what you're trying to get me to say, but I don't affiliate with any of the responses. Mm-hmm. So let me give you the response that I'll be the most happy with, I guess, is what I did, or I feel like what happens yeah. a lot of the times with these tests, and I don't know if that speaks to us, ourselves, or, or the test. Um, right. I, I mean, I think the test, it, those aren't new. They've yeah. been around for quite, quite a while. Decades, uh, yeah. But also, that doesn't take into consideration context. Like, I take a lot of what's going on around me based on context clues. Um, and so when Andy and I pretend bicker or pretend argue, he's not standing in a way that he's mad. He's standing in a relaxed way. So then I know that we're fake arguing or we're just doing it for practice or to let off some steam. Um, so that it removes context of the situations in your, your environment from those questions. And for a lot of us, that's how we understand the situation. Like, even texting, you send an emoji to express how you feel about a situation. Like if I send a text message and I don't include an LOL or an emoji, I think people are thinking I'm going to be mad at them because mm-hmm. I didn't ex- I didn't give them the context of what I was sending it at. So I think as people growing up in technology, context is a big part of how we react to situations. So that that test isn't probably as accurate for us as it is for older generations of people. I can agree with that. I mean, we live in such a visual, it's visual age, but it's so weird for both of our generations um, in the sense that, that's not my hair, um, the fact that 
we live in the age of communication, but I feel like we're some of the most ineffective communicators. Yeah. Um, I was like, we love abbreviations. We yeah. now have emojis. Like, we rarely use any actual words, but say but so don't much. don't you think that might say more about us? Like, we have, like, like, let's get meta for a second. We have moved beyond verbal communication into this world world of emoji communication you can have a whole conversation with someone in emojis and you know exactly what they're saying that is insane like that's going back to like hieroglyphics and stuff yeah, like full yeah. circle that's so cool yeah it's like modern hieroglyphics i think emojis yeah. sometimes capture emotions better than some people's ability to use words because yes oftentimes we forget that better communication isn't often a choice it's also a skill that is a yeah. yeah. So, staying in this pocket, it is full circle, but there's something about articulating a point. Because, like, look at old school movies, like moving pictures. They were just that, moving pictures. Mm -hmm. That is a completely different experience than a movie now where, like, you have motion picture with words beside it. Like, like, the actual verbal is contextual which enhances our experience like imagine foreplay without words at least for me like but that goes i guess that goes back to our love languages like what you do and what you say for me can elevate can either take me out of it or put me like really into a situation rather than just like what you're actually doing you know um so that's how I view it. It's like, I was like, I, I don't know. I love, like, I guess it's because I study linguistics. Like, being a linguist, I was like, I love words. Like, they have yeah. they have meaning. They have intention. Like, they, they do a thing. They serve a purpose. Um, and so when we don't use them, I get a little sad. I'm like, no. Like, invoke something out of me. Like, ancient magic requ- required words, like, specific word, key phrases. Mm-hmm. Because it... It was thought to invoke the spirit of something. And I was like, that's what language does now for us, at least for me, is a craftily worded bio on like a dating app or uh, like a romantic text when you're just starting to see somebody. Those craftily uh, worded situations are super, like they mean so much more than like somebody just sending you like, a, like a couple emojis, you know, like Google, like heart right. eyes, kiss, kissy face. Um, so I'm always on the fence about uh, emojis being substitutes for communication. Well, I think they enhance it. I think they give you more options. Right. Because mm-hmm. like if, if we're kind of looking at these ideas from the, uh, the context or from the perspective of compatibility, the other side of this might be that somebody thinks that long, you know, romantic messages are corny or overly sentimental and emojis is the point. And so I like, I, I, earlier on in the discussion, I kind of mentioned maybe right at the beginning, I mentioned how something I'm just in my own personal life trying to do is to let go of the act of judging people for actions that I view as nonsense or something I really don't like or not for me. It's just that's the way they want to live their life. 
And they'll do that until they decide one day that they don't want to feel that way anymore. And that's when they'll be done. And until then, it just is what it is. And so I, I'm just really feeling more free by allowing myself to stop caring about if right. somebody does something different than myself. And so I wouldn't agree that like using emojis uh, over like words is better or worse. It's just like different. I think yeah. it's true that it's that it is not as articulate. And so it might be simpler, but maybe that fits and that, and, for and someone that, in a way that, you know, is better for them. And that was my point. I wasn't saying one's better than the other. Uh, okay. I was saying that they're best when used in combination rather okay. than just one or the other. Use them in, in combination. Because, like, if I say something like, like kind of funny and I give like a little smirk emoji like that like you can yeah. pick you can picture that like I can see that um yeah right you know um it sounds like I, I think they add like you said they are a better representation of emotion it's like I said emotion paired with articulation a small pause right here while I grab we're back um it's time to find out what Ben's language is of attachment I, I had I actually mentioned it a moment before, but I said it very quickly, and then Elaine moved on with something she was talking about. So I got the secure attachment. I, I'm not surprised by that because, like, it, at least this specific questionnaire was a very small number of questions, mm -hmm. and it was very obvious, like the type of attachment styles that were associated with each question. Um, Maybe something uh, that might be more interesting is um, the apology language mm -hmm. that I got, um, mm -hmm. which was make restitution. And oh, yeah. I, I was kind of frustrated with this quiz, specifically the way they phrased the answers, because um, the, the options were you either you want them to accept responsibility, request forgiveness, make restitution, expressing regret or genuinely repent and so repenting and expressing regret seem to be similar accepting responsibility should be involved with all of these and i feel like requesting forgiveness is its own thing but a lot of the questions with make restitution had to do with money and i think that that only relates if maybe you break someone's stuff, then you should probably replace it. Mm -hmm. You broke it, right? Um, but I think that my biggest like focus with this, and I got it very much so more than all the other sections combined, um, was um, I guess my kind of methodology with apologies or navigating conflict um i think the hardest part is recognizing that the past doesn't actually matter um i think that like getting someone to admit that they did something wrong or that you know they get their side of the story expressed or you get your side of the story expressed like none of that in my opinion actually matters what matters is just finding the answer to two questions which is what do you want and how do we move forward i've been saying this with my friends non-stop recently it's like this kind of method of solving problems 
um, especially when it comes to like emotional conflict that I think really works best, which is what does the person I'm arguing with or having a disagreement with, what do they want? What do they need? And then how can we move forward? And that doesn't necessarily mean that I give them what they need, but knowing what their ask is, knowing what they want from me, whether it's an apology, whether it's compensation, whether it's changed behavior, whatever it is, I can't move forward with them unless I know what their ask is so that I can put it in the context of my own personal boundaries, decide if I'm compromising myself in order to meet their needs. If I'm not, and if they're, I think their needs are reasonable, then I can meet them and then we can determine how we move forward, what we do in the future. Um, if I, I don't think their request is reasonable and it would violate one of the own, my own personal boundaries, then I'm not going to meet their request. And then that's why the second question of how do we move forward is really important, which can be if I can't meet the needs of my partner or my friend or whomever I'm arguing with, um, if I can't meet their needs, how do we move forward where I can't give them what they want? You know, if somebody says, I want you to grovel on your knees and beg for forgiveness, like that's obviously a ridiculous example, but I would say, no, you know, I will be willing to apologize if I believe that I did something wrong. Um, but moving forward, of how, you know, what if this happens again? What if we have a similar disagreement? How do we move forward from this moment? Um, and inviting that person to be involved in the conflict resolution process also takes a lot of, a lot of work off of it's, our shoulders. You know, yeah. I mean, we don't have to be responsible for every part of the process of, you know, oh, I don't, I don't always like to be the bigger person or right. whatever. So invite them. And that sounds like finding a common ground and true partnership are big. That's all we've been talking about it so much or re reiterating it so much today is the fact that when you're in a situation where you either don't think you need to apologize or you think they're giving too big of an ask in return for the action that caused the initial situation, you have to find a common ground there. Rather that's, you know, it's okay not to agree. It's like, hey, I don't agree that what I did crossed the line. Um, I understand that it still hurt you. So I apologize for the fact that you're, or like, I, I, can, I feel something for the fact that you are hurting right now, but at the same time, it's okay to be me, or this is who I am, um, mm -hmm. which is why some of these are really good tests, also why there's a lot of work you still have to put into these things, um, because, you know, love's like a math equation. I was like, you're given a lot of variables, but you still have to solve the problem yourself. Um, so if you're not holding them accountable and yourself accountable for the fact that there are components where we both did something here, that's all we're not happy. How do we move forward? If you're not doing that, then you're right, you won't have longevity in your relationship or neither one of you will be happy. Because that's that's a thing. A lot of people practice uh, complacency um, in relationships of any time, friendships, 
familiar relationships, romantic ones, um, they'll deal with a lot because we have this underlying need to be accepted and loved. Um, and we don't like to be seen as failures. So when you end a relationship, a lot of people sometimes think that they failed in some facet. That's why the relationship didn't work, which may not be the case. Um, you don't wear the same clothes you wore in middle school, not because the clothes failed or your body failed because it grew too big. It's just you both grew apart. You know, you just, you're different. If anybody says they're still wearing their clothes from elementary school, like shout out, respect. Um, you're saving Always. it. I, I liked your kind of metaphor of relationships being kind of this math equation. And um, another, I, I follow a lot of Instagram psychologists, relationship advice people that are rooted in more of a clinical kind of perspective. One of the people's names is Mark Groves. He's really incredible um, with a, a lot of the kind of work that he does. His at on Instagram is create the love, all one word, create the love. And he characterized it in this way that reminded me of what you said. And I, I really like this take. He says that relationships are like an empty box. Relationships don't have love in them. Love comes from people. Trust comes from people. Integrity comes from people. Connection comes from people. So people can't take out of a box what has not been put in there by the people. So if people are investing love into their relationship from themselves, they can't expect to find it in the box of the relationship. The box is empty. And I think a lot of the dysfunction that comes from a relationship is trying to take too much out without refilling the contents. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I would agree. Um, it's so funny that you mentioned that, again, that you follow people on it, therapists on um, Instagram. Mm -hmm. I actually follow um, psychologists and therapists on TikTok. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, some more. I, uh, for me, like, I can read something on Instagram. I'm like, oh, that's cool. But the extra visual um, stimulation from TikTok has made a difference. And I reference them all of the time. Yeah. Like, there's some of them that give, like, there'll be two different people and they'll flip back and forth and, and give you a practice conversation. I and mean, I think that's where I've learned recently the verbiage of practice um will give you farther in relationships and i like this is so funny like when i was we've taught practice makes perfect our entire life and that's not the case it's perfect practice oh, yeah. makes perfect um and i think that's where a lot of this illusion comes in like people like might see me and andy's relationship and thinks think it's perfect on the outside well it's to me i'm a newlywed so it is perfect but we spent four plus years cultivating and perfectly practicing conversations and having those hard moments over and over and over again to get us to where we are we didn't just magically hit a wand and learn how to apologize to each other or learn how to express our love to each other so for me going back to the ecology um mine was expressing regret at 35 percent and then right below it was genuinely repent and i think those are very similar and it was um it was so funny because as i was reading the test i was like yeah why would you ever apologize any other way this is the way you apologize because all you're doing is admitting that you did wrong and then it's up to the person you're having that communication with 
for them to also join with you and dictate the conversation from there. So it might be the person you're communicating with wants restitution and you know that. So therefore you're going to say, I'm sorry, I did this, I messed up, I feel horrible about it, let's make a restitution. But for somebody who doesn't need a restitution, you're not going to say that to them because you know it is different. So I thought it so I thought the expressing regret and being genuinely repentative was a good foundation because you can model your behavior and your verbiage based on who you're communicating with. And I think that's something that people forget. Like you don't communicate the same to every single person you come in contact with every day. I respond to Andy very different than I respond to Ben. Ben, I knew before this conversation likes restitution. I knew that I have learned that. And so that's how I respond to Ben. With Andy, I explain my thought process and give him my logic, and then we walk through how either my logic is flawed, either his logic is flawed, or how maybe we both weren't seeing the picture and we can come to a new logic together. It's just very different for each person, so I think as long as something is genuine and you're practicing at it, that's what matters. I agree, Um, and then I guess I'll give mine and then I'll make this statement. Mine was... Uh, genuine rep- uh, repentance um, for the fact I guess it's because I study words so much that I realize people are really good at crafting words or speech or there's a lot of room for interpretation when it comes to words rather than actions or feelings um, those even though they are ambiguous they're very definite the example I always like to give when I talk to people is pain. Pain is something that everybody can resonate and relate to, and it's a constant. Um, the reason you may feel it is different. Like, if you see, if I if I were to punch somebody, I was like, how much pain it exerts would be different from Ben than it would you, Elaine. But you both would still feel and understand it. You might not know the reason I behind me doing it, you know, but you would still understand it. So I was like, I'd rather you genuinely just be like, hey, I know that this was messed up. I might not, I like, my opinion might not be changing, but I understand I did something that wasn't pleasurable to you, that, that hurt you. That to me says a lot more than anything, or just just showing me like, hey, you actually understand why I'm upset and acknowledging it does so much more than just being like, sorry, or finding out, like trying to make some type of restitution towards it. Because like I said, I just want you, I just want us to be able to learn and grow together. And so I feel like when we both make the effort to understand and be like, okay, here's how, here's what went wrong here, let's address it, and then proceed to move on rather than, here's what went wrong here, let's address it, and make more about it. I was like, I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't like to dwell on things, it mm-hmm. doesn't do much for me. I was like, that was, a, that was a shitty thing that happened, I did it, you did it, we did it to get to each other, let's move on from it. And um, just in my line of work, one of my lines of work, that's something that we like, we're taught or we learn a lot about is the 
the no blame apology where you don't want to say one party is right or any other one's wrong. It's more of just like, hey, a thing happened. It was crappy. Let's move on. Um, and 99% of the time, that's exactly how I feel. Every once in a while, like we all have the time to be like, no, you definitely like need to, somebody definitely messed up here, you know? But overall, that's, I'm in that, that boat of just like, hey, let's just address it and keep it moving. Um, the last two things I want to ask you guys are, we kind of talked about how there are different or different layers to apology and a, a lot of the other things today. Do you believe there are different types of compatibility? Um, I was talking at work last night, ironically enough, leading up to this episode because I was like, ah. I asked somebody, what do you think it means to be compatible? And a lot of people didn't understand or weren't going where I wanted them to go, which is okay in a conversation. Um, but somebody said to me, like, it depends. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, you're either compatible or you're not. Like, there could be a plethora of reasons why you're not compatible, but you either are or aren't. And she, and she said that there are different types of compatibility that we place upon. Whether we're compatible as friends is something completely different than whether we're compatible as romantic partners or effective family. I was like, you know what? I never thought about that in that sense because there isn't the same ask on my friends. Well, it's weird. I hold my friends and family to the same tier, the same accountability because I believe if we are friends, I treat you like my family and like my family, I treat like my friends um, because family is who you, like I say, I call Ben my brother all the time because I hold him to that same standard that I do my actual brothers of hold me accountable when I mess up, I'll hold you accountable. So that ask is the same, but I'll never ask Ben to be like, you know what? You don't try that hard to rekindle our flame, you know. Um, you know, you didn't take the trip, you know, li like like little things that you bring into something with your significant other. I'll never hold Ben to those standards, nor Elaine, you know, because that's not the relationship. That's not the ask that I have of them. So we're compatible because they still fulfill those needs. Um, but do you guys kind of agree with that, or do you think there could be some tweaking to that ideology? I mean, I think it's pretty accurate. I would change the verbiage to it's a spectrum. So I don't think there's different forms of compatibility. I think it's all on a spectrum and it's ever changing. Um, I think it's your, I don't think it's your compatible or not. I think it goes back to open communication and being able to vocalize or express um, disdain um, and just practicing. But I don't think that, oh, there's only compatibility for romantic partners. It's completely different than compatibility for friends. I personally don't feel that because my husband's my best friend in the entire world, but we just haven't. It's just a little bit deeper. So I still have the same compatibility level as I do with Ben, but there's just an add to it rather than being completely different. Well, in, in line with the spectrum ideology, I was like, can things be 
different and the same in the sense that we can be compatible in all these different fields. Like, I feel like people are Venn diagrams. Um, and we, we strive towards the intersect, intersection. Because like you said, like, you married your best friend or your person you're married to is your best friend. Mm-hmm. Do you, you have expectations for both those role as spouse and best friend? This person, uh, Andy, lives in the intersection of those roles at the current time. Mm-hmm. But let's say you worked with Ben. Ben's like one of your best friends, but he would also be your coworker. He might not. Be, we did that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, because you danced together. That intersection. No, I mean, we worked together. Oh, did we you? Were, we were desk buddies. Yeah, we, oh, worked we worked together. Oh, wow, that's crazy. Um, was this post your first like dancing counter or like pre? Yeah, this was yeah. much later. Yeah. Oh, cool. I didn't. I didn't realize that. Um, but yeah, like, I, I think. I like I like I like labels. I think labels are good and different. Or I, I think they're good. They I like they put people in categories and there's nothing wrong with that. Judging people on the labels is like where I think it's problematic, but I think it's I like the whole intersection thing, the whole Venn diagram theory because if we ever evolve like you were friends with your husband first, so you had a different set of ex- expectations. Once he entered into a romantic facet, his intersection with you just grew rather than right. it was, it's the same thing. Because I don't think it is because you don't hold him to those old standards anymore. You have new standards for him. So it's like encompassing something new rather than just elevating things if that makes sense i mean yeah you can see it that way um and this might just be a a unique situation for andy and i like i said i I mentioned it earlier that i just see him as an extension of myself so i kind of have absolved him into myself so my expectations for who i am are my expectations for him yeah um and then there's the the added layer of him being my friend as well mm-hmm. um so i don't see them as different because i have very similar expectations for some of my other friends uh, they just manifest different because they are different people um so i don't really see it as it's completely different um, it just goes a little bit deeper with Andy and I than with some of my other friends. My my opinions on this are very kind of brief. I mean, I, I, I agree that there is, uh, that compatibility is not like this binary experiment of yes or no, is or isn't, um, and that it is a spectrum. Um, but I do believe that, that that spectrum is not a straight line and you're somewhere along the line. Um, I like to see it as one of those like, uh, like hex- the pentagon or hexagon graphs where every point on the pentagon is a different characteristic uh-huh, yeah. and like the, the, the spread along that line kind of makes this abstract looking star of sorts. Um, one of those kinds of graphs I think encompasses the way I see it a little differently. Somebody could have a really big point on their star in a sexual direction but a very low point on the star 
in their conflict resolution compatibility, or maybe their hobbies are very compatible, but their professions aren't. Um, so I think that that star looks different for every person, um, and that there aren't rules to what the star needs to look like, as long as what you want is the shape of that other person's star. And maybe that's that's a that's a better analogy, like um, just visually speaking, uh, in a sense, because I don't think there was too much disagreement between me and Elaine. Uh, our just visual representations mm -hmm. were different. Um, so the one that you provided, Ben, um, just helped align both of those viewpoints. So thank you for that. And then the last thing. Man, I yeah. appreciate yeah. being able to be on the show. Yeah, the last two, three minutes of the show, uh, I'm going to turn it over to you. Do you guys have any projects you're working on or any items or advice you want to share or leave for the, the people? I know you, Ben's been doing a good job um, throughout the show of just quoting his uh, Instagram psychologist, Insta psychologist. We'll find, I don't know. There might be some like yeah, cool ways it, to yeah, that, that's just kind of, I, I, I recommended them in case anyone was curious, like, oh, that, that's a cool idea. I wonder yeah. what else that person has to share. Yeah. But regarding kind of advice that I have, I mean, if, if somebody liked something I said, a methodology, kind of putting it into practice, seeing how it feels. If it doesn't feel right, you stop doing it. Um, you know, trying the next disagreement somebody has to say, hey, what, what do you need? What do you want yeah. from this? And then how do we move forward? You know, that's like one example. They could try that. But, you know, what what people feel is uh, quality and is uh, resonates well with themselves is what I would recommend they try. All right. And then also, um, I will make sure to grab the info from Ben in case you want to officiate your best friend's wedding. Um, <laughs> as I mentioned in the beginning of the yeah. show. We'll leave the, I'll leave the link in the description or in the comments uh, to where you can get, I guess, ordained or certified at. Elaine, did you have anything else to close with? Um, I mean, I've said this a hundred times today, um, and I'll say it again. Uh, practice, practice, practice. All right. Like I said, thanks again for coming out, guys. Um, that's been another episode of the Not So Bad Bachelor Pad, and... Uh, We'll see you around on the next one. Don't forget, if you're listening on any streaming or podcast service, to leave a comment or a like, subscribe, and let us know how you feel. Let us know if there's more you want to ask. Um, these people are my friends, so they'll come in and out frequently if there's a big ask for them to come back. Thanks, and uh, we'll see you on the next one.